following program is brought to you by your friends at Podcast One. Welcome to R.J. Bell's Dream Preview. Weekly winners from his Wise Guy Roundtable. Broadcasting from the pregame.com studios in Las Vegas. Here is R.J. Bell. It's our inaugural basketball edition of the Dream Preview. This week, focus on college basketball. Once the NFL is over, we are going to have NBA Talk 2 with Steve Fezzik. Joining us, NBA expert, originator, this week, one-on-one on the Wise Table, Brad Powers, college football specialist. And as an extra bonus, we've got about 10 minutes of tape, and we're going to play it in three or four, four actually, segments from pregame pro Dave Essler. Now, Dave hasn't done a ton of rich media He's in Florida, formerly from the Boston area, but this guy knows college basketball as well as anybody. Really amazing insights, and you'll see here just in a few minutes. Here's what we're going to be talking about throughout today's college basketball dream preview. Two overrated teams, two underrated teams, Trey Young and the freshman wall. How can you make money from it? Also, How do you make money from the older teams, those more senior, junior teams at this point in the season? Also, we'll be discussing the biggest surprise team of the college basketball season. And then we'll look at Saturday's, maybe the biggest game of the year, Brad? Yeah, so far, absolutely. A pair of top five teams, conference play, Virginia and Duke, a really good one on Saturday. Now, Ralph Sampson, is he going to (laughs) play a role in this one? No. No, okay. All right. I was a Samson fan. Wow. You know, I was a Chaminade fan. <laughs> and two best bets coming up, both from Brad and Dave Esler for Wednesday's action. And the basketball preview will be released every Wednesday morning, early, early in the AM. All right, let's get straight to it. Brad, what does overrated mean? Overrated means if you had to have one team that you are forced to bet against blindly the next three games with no regards to who they're playing. You don't even know, let's say, which team do you think intrinsically is the most overrated? Thus fading them offers the most value. Arizona State, and it's a team that continues to be overrated in the marketplace. Let, let's set it up here. It's a team that started off the season 12-0. and Huge win in Lawrence, Kansas, ending that long uh, non-conference home winning streak for Kansas. Arizona State sitting in the top five of the AP poll. Well, since that win, they've been overpriced in the marketplace. They haven't covered a game in the last couple weeks and continue to be overrated in the marketplace. They sit at number 21 in the AP poll. I don't even have them in my top 30. And the reason that they're very overrated, it just comes down to defense. They're laying inflated numbers because everyone wants to bet on them. This is a team in the top 40 teams in the country has by far the worst defense, not even a top 100 defense I, I say the Sun Devils the most overrated team currently. Now, if I remember correctly, on Straight Out of Vegas, there's a show on Friday night and Saturday night that you should check out called Straight Out of Vegas. That's right, <laughs> Mr. Gottlieb. It's 11 o'clock Pacific on Friday night, 10 o'clock Pacific on Saturday, and we go two hours on Saturday. We've been focused on football. We're going to be transitioning to basketball 
but you delivered Arizona State as an overrated team. I mean, literally, it's been weeks and weeks, right? Absolutely. I think they first... So they were overrated then, overrated now? They continue to be. I mean, well, they haven't covered it since the first time I've said Arizona State, the most overrated team. It was actually a few weeks ago on the Dream Podcast for the National Championship Preview, Georgia, Alabama. They haven't covered a spread since then. And they continue to be overrated. So how many games since then? Seven games. Wow. I mean, you, you had that number right in your head. Yeah, well... I always for closes only. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, there yeah. you go. Obviously, if a team doesn't cover, doesn't cover, doesn't cover, you would think their general rating comes down. That's they're less likely to be overrated. Have you felt like that's happened at all? It, it has. I mean, keep in mind, they were a top five team when I originally said it. And they were ranked probably about 20, 25, my power ratings. We've seen their adjustment go down about 15 spots. Probably it should have gone down 30 or 40 spots. Still hasn't done, done so yet. It's a team that's not a top 25 team. All, right, all so intensive purposes. The AP has Arizona State number 21. At, yep. And you've got them number 33 right now. Okay. So still that disparity as big or bigger than any other team. As of right now, as far as the top 25 yeah, teams not in the, the current. Fu- not in the future. Yes. Right? If, if you could predict the future, this would all be much and, easier. And, and I mean, there's a team, <laughs> you know, I don't know if for all intents and purposes, we want to talk about William and Mary and teams like that. So, so most, let's do this. Yeah. Just off the top of your head with no deep dive, who are the other teams you'd tick off and say maybe one, two, three others that, that are particularly overrated? Well, we're going to get to one team, Oklahoma. And I think one single player makes them overrated. Uh, you know, a couple other teams, I would say Rhode Island, a team in the top 25 now, not even in the top 35 of my power ranks. They're getting a lot of love for just winning games against a weak conference. So those would be the three right now off the top of my head. Arizona State, Rhode Island, and Oklahoma. All right, so number one is Arizona State. Or I guess one of the ways I like to do with over or underrated teams is I'd like to understand, I want to profile these teams. When is the best time in this case to play against and when is the time that even though they're overrated, they're good in this spot. So you'd look, you'd avoid playing again. So what's the best spot for Arizona State to fade them? What's the worst spot? So big favorite, big dog, short rest, whatever. Big favorite. And particularly because of their defense. That's the worst time to worst. play on them. Best time to fade them. Best time to fade them. Because here's a team that that's has been laying a lot of points, not covering points for us. And here's why they continue to be overrated. They've still been winning a few games straight up. So people are still seeing a gaudy straight up record. It's just against the spread they haven't performed so well. Big favorite. They were just a big favorite the other night, laying double digits against a Cal team. Failed to cover the spread in that one. It's because they have the number 125 defense in the country, the worst defense out of any top 40 team. Okay, now let's flip it. When would you say, yeah, they're overrated, but this is a good spot for them, so I don't want to fade them? I would say if they're like a short home dog or, or any time that they're actually perceived negatively, like, like they were against Kansas. They weren't. They were thrown in the trash, not given a chance in that game. As soon as that happens, that'll be the spot where I would be a lot less likely to fade Arizona State and might even be on them in that particular case. Okay, now, same question posed and just a little earlier today to Mr. Dave Esler. Let's get his response. And we are with Dave Esler, pregame pro. Guys, Dave Esler, so much content in the pregame.com forums. It is truly must-read stuff. Once you hear some of Dave, you're going to agree with me and go running to read all the free content he produces. All right, Dave, first question. We like overrated and underrated teams. 
And when I think of overrated, it's like you're looking to play against this team. You won't play against them blindly, but you're looking to play against them because you think the market overrates them. Give us right now, as of this week, your most overrated college basketball team. Well, I'd have to go with, with Mississippi State at the moment. And uh, it, it kind of came to fruition. And, and that will eventually turn because this is so cyclical. You know, some of these overrated, underrated things that they might only last a week or two before you know the market and or the betters catch up. But you know, Mississippi State played probably the absolute worst non-conference schedule uh, before they started SEC play. Now that now they're just absolutely getting hammered. I see that continuing because of that strength of schedule. They 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 can't shoot threes. They can't shoot free throws, and they turn the ball over. And and the thing that strikes me there is most of those numbers were against that. 346th out of 351st weakest schedule. So I'm thinking Mississippi State is probably a good team to to look the other way off of for a while. All right. Now that's fascinating is the idea that in college basketball, the strength, the schedule disparity out of conference. So all the way up to, let's say, January 1 or so, there can be drastic differences in teams. So if all you're doing is looking at their record, if all you're doing is looking at their stats, if you're not adjusting for strength of schedule, you can be fooled that those stats can be deceiving. Is that a fair way to say Absolutely. it? Absolutely. And and now I think we're getting into a time, obviously, where we're six or so games into conference play. You know, it's time to adjust again uh, because we have six games or, or seven games of conference play uh, and you can do conference statistics. So now you're almost comparing apples to apples. So it makes life an awful lot easier. You know, this, this whole, that's, that's what I mean by every couple of weeks, this thing changes. But the sample size, even six, seven games in, is so small that, yeah, those numbers are going to be telling, but you've got to look at those out-of-conference, too, to have a big enough sample. But then with the out-of-conference numbers, you've got to make sure you're considering strength of schedule. I totally agree with you there. Another way I think, and this is a way the, the squares to the squares get fooled, is the idea of the record. Right. Because to some degree, if a team is two and five in conference, yeah, you're going to start waking up to that. But if the team was, you know, 13 and two out of conference, that blended record, just like the blended stats, still look good. Agreed. Uh, And hopefully people don't continue to make that mistake. Well, no, no, no. We want them to. We just don't want the dream preview listeners to. And then that way we still can find value. Exactly. First off, we're going to talk strength of schedule because that was a topic, Brad that you wanted to discuss separately. So it would be a good time to discuss that now. Generally, though, do you agree Mississippi State being overrated? Absolutely o- overrated. Uh, it's a team that, that like uh, Esler mentioned, has struggled once they've reached conference play. A lot of the fact because they really didn't play anybody in non-conference. They lost four of their last five games. Uh, they're getting beat as a favorite. Uh, they're getting crushed as a small underdog. And it's a team that one area of disagreement that I might have is one area where they do play very well and they're above average, actually a top 20 team when it comes to defense. They're coached by Ben Howland. For those of you that remember and think that name is familiar, the former Pittsburgh UCLA coach, plays a very ugly style, low scoring, really muddles it up. So I wouldn't ever want to blindly bet against a team, but I will say one area where I wouldn't be going against Mississippi State is when they're getting a lot of points just because they have such suppressed scoring. So this is an example of saying, yeah, you agree overrated, but here's a good spot for them. So not as inclined to fade in that spot. Not as inclined to fade when they're catching a lot of points, but will fade them when they are laying a lot of points because offensively they're terrible. Okay. 
strength of schedule. Uh, the basic premise makes a ton of sense is people look at records. People look at stats in the NFL, the variation amongst uh, or between teams with strength of schedule is very limited. So yeah, we can say this team has the 18th hardest. This team has the sixth hardest, but it's not much of a difference. It, it's meaningful, but smidges um, college football. You know, I, I guess any pro sports strength of schedule is going to be a modest consideration. College football, I think even less so than college basketball, just because those out of conference games are a smaller percentage of the overall. So it's safe to say there's no sport other or no sport except college basketball in which the number one or strength of schedule is the most impactful, meaning that there could be disparities that are super deceiving. So in general, how do you consider that, especially earlier in the conference schedule when the percentages of games out of conference, when there is all that disparity is such a bigger percentage of the overall games. It is in the month of January is my number one by far factor because that your my job is to find value in the marketplace. And here's where you find value. You've kind of mentioned it. You get a lot of teams that are sitting there with gaudy straight up records. They're 11 and one, 12 and one taking on teams that are 500, six and six, six and seven. But a lot of times it's the only time of year you can get a schedule strength difference of 100 spots, 150 spots, 200 spots. And let's be honest, this puts your thought, you know, yourself into the minds of a guy that's been in college basketball. A lot of times they're coming off of college football after the bowl season. They haven't been following these games, you know, game by game, like a lot of the sharp people that have been betting college basketball throughout the first two months of the season. And what are they going to look at? They're going to look at a straight up record. Oh, my goodness, this this team's, you know getting points and they're six and six and they're actually, you know, laying points against an 11 and one, 12 and one team. Uh, I got to take the points in that regard. And a lot of times <laughs> there's some value to that. Agreed. And, and I think you mentioned something. We'll be talking about it next week. And after the Super Bowl, even more, the profile of people betting college basketball changes as the football games wind down. So, if the playoffs are rocking and rolling, probably not as focused on college basketball, the casual batter. This week, they're still thinking Super Bowl, but it's like, wow, this Saturday, there's no football games. I might start looking at the schedule. Then, obviously, the Saturday before the Super Bowl, they're probably pretty excited about the Super Bowl. But then that Monday, you know, and that Tuesday, it's like, now what? Right. And it's, they look, say, oh, it's about six weeks to March Madness. And that's when they really get involved. So in general, how does the different batters at different points of the year affect how you handicap? Uh, it's a great point and something that I did in a podcast last year, and I'll do it again this year. I see a lot of the public teams, the blue bloods of the sport, Duke, North Carolina, Kentucky, UCLA. So a lot of times those teams are, are relatively good against the spread in December, uh, in November, early part of January. Maybe they're hitting you know blindly 54, 55%. A lot of times, though, in the month of January, particularly it starts right after the college football national championship. A lot of times, middle of January, they start getting overpriced in the marketplace because public betters are going to go with what they know best. And they're going to go for those named teams, the Dukes, the North Carolinas, the Kentuckys. A lot of time you're paying a premium on those type of teams. Doubling back to strength of schedule. One last question. Is there a strength of schedule metric uh, from Jeff Sagarin, from Ken Palm, uh, what is the default when it comes to uh, now, again, you're going to be a little more sophisticated than just looking at a number like that. 
but that's going to be a good starting point. And for fans, uh, listeners who don't have 60, 70 hours a week to handicap, what is the best baseline for them? Uh, Ken Palm would be one, Sagarin two. Ken Palm has it broken down, strength of schedule, not only overall, but non-conference as well. And I think that's very important to see that because a lot of times you can get that big separation in the non-conference. But what happens in the month of February, RJ, is these strength of schedule disparities really tighten up as you have 10, 12 conference games played. All right, next topic, the flip side, under rated team. So in theory, these are the teams you're going to look to play on. Same question. If you had to blindly play on one team the next three days or three games, which team is it? It's Michigan, a team that really got punished for losing a game on the road in Nebraska in a terrible spot. They dropped like five, six, seven spots in the AP poll. Shouldn't have. It was a terrible spot for them. But here's why I think they're underrated. How many teams in the country in a span of five days can go on the road, beat Michigan State by 10, and also have a one-point loss to my number one power-rated team, Purdue, a game they easily could have won if not for a couple of shoddy calls in the final 10 seconds of the game. Not many teams can do that. Here's what I see. I see one of the best coaches, doesn't get enough respect in the marketplace, John Beeline. He's a great against the spread coach, one of the best, particularly in the months of February and March, and it's a top-20 defense, and a, a program that usually has been an overachiever. Here's a team that got a lot of notoriety last year, Big Ten, their plane goes off the runway. They don't even have practice. They have to play games in their practice equipment. It's a team that ends up winning the Big Ten championship. They have a similar trace to that team. Yeah, you know, I'm not a big fan of Michigan. <laughs> oh, wait, that's that's football. I don't really mind, I guess, in basketball. AP has them 25. I have number 15. And I didn't punish them for the loss against Nebraska. Actually, I had Nebraska as so one of my did premium you have picks. Them, just for the... The decimal point guys out there, 14. 14 or 15, 14, 14. Go ahead. I was trying to be, you know, 10 spots higher, but yes, number 14 in just my a, current power ratings. Just the facts are enough for us. Yes. Just the facts. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> Joe Friday style. So let's talk about, and, and remember we're, we're, we'll be talking about Brad's power ratings throughout all these shows. They come out what day of the week? Every Friday, usually uh, right around 3 p.m. Eastern is when they come out. Get you ready for the weekend games. Okay, and you can check those out at Brad Power 7 or on my Twitter. And if you only can pick one, I'd say my Twitter. His Twitter handle is at RJ in Vegas. You know, but the people vote with their feet, let's be honest. Yes. <laughs> but Brad's got, if you like the deep dives, good, good stuff for sure. And all joking aside, it's if you're betting sports, you're not following Brad, you're making a mistake because it's free, right? It's Twitter. It's free. A lot of free stuff from him. All right, let's talk about the spot where, again, this is an underrated team. So the spot where you especially want to play on them and then a spot in Michigan that you're less inclined to play on them. Well, I, I think a spot's coming up this upcoming weekend against Purdue Revenge for a game they easily could have won. They're going to be on the road. They're going to be catching a lot of points. And they're going to think at least – psychologically, hey, we can we, we should have beaten this team, and yet they're going to be getting double digits on the road to Purdue. So I'll be on them, at least with a lean in that particular game. Here's where I don't. They're a little bit depth shy, and the reason I faded them against that Nebraska game, they're playing their third game in five days. And the Big Ten schedule this year is all moved up in advance. RJ, you know the Big Ten championship is usually like the last championship game played on that selection Sunday. They moved it up a full week this year. So all their conference games, their 18 games, have been like, compressed where they get a lot of times where so, they're playing three games in a week. So wait, before the ACC or I'm sorry, the ACC, the SEC even plays their starts a tournament. The big Ten's over. Yes. What's the rationale? 
uh, they wanted their teams to have extra time between the, the NCAA tournament. But they're going to get all and, fatigued during the regular season. And I believe it's uh, a lot of it's scheduling dynamics. I think they're in the, Ma- the Madison Square Garden, Barclays Center, where there's like three or four tournaments playing there. Now, do you think in general, the fact, because the thing about college basketball that I've always just defaulted to is, unless it's a very unusual situation, they're playing two games a week and fatigue's not a big factor. When you get these holiday tournaments and then when you get in the conference tournaments, you know, you can play a fourth, four games in four days. Very different. It really isn't replicated anytime during the regular season is the three games a week. Now, does it make the factors that you consider when it comes to a team's depth more important for the big 10 this year? Absolutely. It does. And we'll, we'll talk about a team that I'm a little bit concerned moving forward. Ohio state, who's a little bit depth shy. It's had a great start, but it is, when they get in those situations where they're playing three games in a week time, uh, I'm going to be more, more inclined to, to play against them or be off of them. And we'll be talking about the Buckeyes, the Ohio State University here in just a few minutes. Okay. We've talked about the time you want to play on Michigan. Specifically, you're looking ahead to Saturday. When's a situation where you're saying, yeah, they're underrated, but I don't like them in this spot. What I just mentioned, you know, when they're playing that third game in five. So they're another their team own. that you think, is there any team? <laughs> I mean, every team's going to suffer for playing three yeah. games in five days if they're on the road. But it, 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 is Michigan especially prone to that? Well, especially when they're laying points and they got a little overpriced after those two big performances against Michigan State and Purdue a couple weeks back. Uh, But now, since they've been punished for a loss at Nebraska, I would say I would be less inclined to lay a lot of points with the team. Uh, They've had a little bit struggle scoring compared to past additions. They're not as great from behind the arc. I'd be inclined to, to, to not be on them blindly when they're laying 10, 12 points in a lot of those situations. Okay, so speaking of underrated teams, let's hear Mr. Dave Esler. Underrated. So the same way to think about this just flipped is if you're looking to play on a team, what team is well, that? Well, I'm going to uh, I'll always think out of the box and give you one that maybe people don't think, but Kentucky. You know, there's a team that obviously had some awesome ranking before the season started and and all these freshmen again, and here we go again. And, and you know, they're at least an elite, elite eight team. Uh, you'd have paid a premium to bet on them through probably the end of December. Uh, and, and now, you know, that's changed. I think they just dropped out of the uh, the rankings for the first time in, in maybe 68 weeks. People are now saying, well, they're, they're just not going to be very good. But if you if you look closely, you know, they, they've lost a few games, but they haven't, they don't have bad losses. They lost to Kansas in Chicago. They, they lost to UCLA. Uh, that was in New Orleans. They they lost at Tennessee. Right now, everybody loses at Tennessee. Uh, South Carolina beat them. Uh, South Carolina is a tough place to play. And uh, Florida beat them by two, and Florida is an elite team. Uh, I think they're going to be undervalued going forward. Now, that was fascinating, the idea of an emblematic-type event. So oftentimes in college football or college basketball, you have a team that hasn't been in the top 25 for years and years. Then they finally get there. And then that drives the narrative is the emblematic event of making the top 25. And thus the team tends to get overrated. You're flipping it, which is fascinating is I bet a bunch of the stories about Kentucky recently has been that stat about being out of the top 25 and emblematic sense driving the narrative. Okay. So 
same process. In general, do you agree Kentucky underrated? They are um, massively underrated. Here's a team that's not in the top 25 for the first time in four years. Still, my power ranks in the top 20. In fact, my latest set that was published you know, last Friday before we're doing, taping this podcast had him number 16. Probably dropped a couple of spots since that home loss against Florida, but it, I completely agree with Dave. Here's a team, and it's lining up to be very similar to last time. They were unranked and not ranked in the top 25 of the AP poll. Happened four years ago. What happened? Everyone threw that team in the trash. What's wrong with Kentucky? Calipari, this one-and-done system isn't working very well. What did that team do? Because they're so reliant on freshmen, got better as the season went on, ended up playing in the national championship game. Not saying that will be the case this year, but I think there's value on Kentucky, particularly in the months of February and even moving forward in March. Okay, so you've got them number 16 in the yes. power ratings, and they're out of the AP Top 25. Absolutely. Uh, and look, I, I get it because you look at they got five losses. They've lost, you know, you're looking at it. They lost two of their last three games, three of their last five games. So right now they're not playing well. But are you kidding me on a neutral floor? You're telling me 25 teams, teams like Rhode Island, Arizona State are going to be favored over Kentucky. I don't think so. So what you're telling me, this applies to Kentucky. I've got to tell you, it's just occurred to me what the student body has been chanting for the last two or three minutes. It's the name. So Rudy and Kentucky. Yeah. I don't know about that. <laughs> but yeah, I guess. <laughs> but I love the idea because the funny thing is when a team is loved and a team is so respected, when they play bad, there's a backlash oftentimes. They say, oh, they're horrible. I've lost so much money on them. Because you know a lot of people was betting Kentucky up to this point in the season. So you might say, oh, Kentucky's always going to be overrated. Um, no. I think sometimes when it gets extreme, when they underperform, there's very popular teams. There's kind of a, um, what would you call it? A, a revenge on them. There's an anger to them uh, or anger about them because they've lost people so much money. And they have such high expectations. And I'm glad you brought up the Rudy clip. I used, I've used this example many times. Notre Dame's the same way. When do I normally want to play against Notre Dame because you're playing, paying a premium, particularly when there is a favorite. Well, one time I like playing on Notre Dame throughout the last 10, 15, 20 years is when everyone, the entire media, throws them in the trash. They're a big underdog on the road against a Florida State or a Clemson. And a lot of times they've been relatively good money makers in that regard when, every, when it's an us against the world type of mentality. And to me, I think the word, as I've thought about it, is backlash. There's a backlash yes. against them. Okay, so same question on Kentucky. What's a spot now since it's underrated? We're looking initially to or primarily to play on them. So where's a spot they're especially suited to be played on? Well, they're not an underdog too often. It's only happened, I think, twice even this year that they struggle. A lot of times I like playing on them in the underdog role, and they've been a great cash of that to leave in the last two, three years cashing more than 55% of but the time. But with a team that has a bunch of freshmen every year, do we really, can, can we go back two or three years ago? But I mean, looking at this team, yes. uh, uh, teams with pressure, because I think when I ask this question about the spots, I think you're taking it too narrowly. I mean, literally things like against a really good point guard, they might struggle okay. or against pressing teams. They might struggle or whatever. Like give me a, a, like a, all the, factors are lining up and if you're looking to play on Kentucky and you can find this and this factor it looks pretty good yeah a couple of teams I'm glad you mentioned pressing they really don't have a point guard compared to past Kentucky additions like your John Walls your top point guards that really handle the dribble drive offense that Calipari likes to run 
So teams that like to get up in your face, the Alabamas of the world, Mississippi State's kind of a junk defense. Uh, any team that has a superior defense that likes to get in your face, Kentucky, we've seen them have trouble handling the ball, and they don't have a go-to score like they had in Malik Monk last year. So flip side, when is Kentucky in a situation to play well, which means we probably don't want to try to take advantage of them being, uh, or I guess the flip side is when they play poorly. All right, so actually, I think we <laughs> kind of mix this up a little yeah. bit, which is fine because these are potent concepts. So if a team's underrated, we want to play on them. You told me when not to play on them, which is against pressing teams. Yep. Right. So now, so on one hand, think about it. And and guys, if it were simpler, it'd be easy, right? But it's not. Is on one hand you're saying, well, wait, Kentucky's underrated. I want to play on them. But then Brad's telling me, yeah, but not against pressing teams. Yeah, that's the point, right? Is there's multiple factors. One of them we're trying to give you a little gold nugget to take with you is look to play on Michigan, look to play on Kentucky. Now, amongst that macro advice, the question becomes, when am I especially inclined to play on them? And when am I going to be hesitant to play on them? To be hesitant to play on the underrated Kentucky against pressing teams. Agree? Yes. All right. Now, when are you looking to play on Kentucky, you started with underdog, but if they're underdog twice during a down year, probably not many of those times. When else? Maybe when they're off an embarrassing type of performance, we kind of seen it uh, already. So the theory is that we got some blue chippers. It's almost like we were talking about when Miami uh, or or when Florida State was like a 17 point underdog against Miami this football season. We said these guys are it's a lost season for them. But if there's one thing that's going to perk them up, we thought was the idea that they'd be almost embarrassed that they're such big underdogs. They're going to step up that game. Now they did, but they didn't cover. <laughs> As I remember from straight out of Vegas, we talked about the, that game and I actually had a nice little bet on Florida state, which should have won, right? There's a lot of should out there. Um, so you're saying is with Kentucky is if they start feeling embarrassed, this is a team that has so much pedigree, so much skill in the five-star recruits or whatever, that if they're extra motivated, look out. Yep. And we've already seen a couple instances this year. They get blown out on the road against Tennessee. They're playing Vanderbilt in one of their next games, laying a short number because of that blowout loss. They played with a lot of pride and ended up covering that number. And that's a great, because my next question was going to be, well, when is there a typical time they're going to feel embarrassed? Well, maybe as a big underdog, but also off an embarrassing loss, which also means the public perception is going to feed into them being underrated. Yeah. And it does, obviously it doesn't always have to be them in an underdog per se role, but anytime they're feeling disrespected in the marketplace. All right. So recapping the underrated Michigan from Brad, Kentucky from Mr. Dave Esler, Next topic, we're going to be talking about the freshman wall. Now, at Ohio State, I had the freshman 15. Oh, it was it was unlimited. I mean, you had your meal card and, you know, it was like seven bucks a day. You got three meals a day and it was like a full on buffet, like a sizzler <laughs> level buffet. And let me tell you, day after day of that, not good, not good <laughs> for 1988 RJ. Trey Young, freshman. We've talked about the freshman wall, which is the idea that these kids have never played this many games, this intense intensity, that much intensity. And young, it feels like obviously the numbers are good, but you see a trend line here. Well, the numbers are great. And let's put it in perspective. Right now, he's leading the country in scoring, averaging more than 30 points per game. We haven't seen that from any player 
since the 1990-91 season, and he's on pace to have the record amount of points for any freshman in the history of NCAA basketball. So historic numbers, also leading the country in assists, and he has a lot of these 40-point games. He has a 22-assist game, which is the record. So historically, he's up there among the greats, just not as far as the tops this season. But here's what I'm seeing. I think the pressure's starting to get to him. And yes, he's still putting up his points. We're taping this on Tuesday. He had a 48-point performance over last weekend against Oklahoma State. But where the pressure's getting to him, he's handling the ball constantly. And he's turning the ball over in conference play and Big 12 play. One out of every four possessions. He has a couple of back-to-back double-digit turnover games. And I think all the media pressure and him just handling the ball in general and maybe him getting a little bit tired hitting the wall here, I think that's where I think you're finding some value fading Oklahoma. And we're going to get thoughts on the freshman wall from Dave Esler. At this point in the season, the freshmen, very young, 18, 19, I guess, year old freshmen are hitting a time of a season that they've never really hit before. How do you handicap the impactful freshmen as the season progresses? Because on one hand, there's the freshman wall or the idea of getting tired. On the other hand, each game they play adds to their experience. So it seems like one thing is good, which is that added experience and young teams do trend tend to trend upwards. On the other hand, it's bad because they might be getting tired. How do you, well, that's a that? good question. I mean, I don't know that you can, can balance it equally well or, or know beforehand. I mean, you know, if you look at Trey young, he's, you know, I, I would expect him to rest some, I mean, you know, we talked about all his turnovers and whatnot, but he's also played, more minutes in the last five games, 37, 36, 40, 34, 43 in a 45 minute overtime game. You know, that, that's just not doing him any favors. I would look at that and say, I don't expect that to change anytime soon. That doesn't mean it's not going to, but the odds are, yes, he's getting tired. He played 25 games at Norman, Oklahoma High School, probably didn't ride a, a bus for more than an hour and a half. And now he's flying to Oregon and all over the place and playing in these really hostile arenas plus somebody like that you know he's got you know every talking heads camera on him you know every time he takes the court you know the kid's 19 and I just think that's a bit much to ask for me that's again that's a situational thing to where yes I think eventually uh, he'll regress to the mean I think he was probably overperforming at one point now he's underperforming and, and he'll come back up I, I just don't know that it's right now because he's, he's played a, a lot more minutes in these last five games than he did even in the first what 14 or so and to me, that's a great way to set the framework is there are there is the factor of fatigue, the wall. There is the factor of vital experience being a positive. It's a player by player basis, right? There's a guy who started off the season and he wasn't even supposed to start, but he is a six man the first five, seven games. Then he starts, but doesn't play a ton. And then by the midpoint of the season, he's the second or third best p- player on the team that freshman probably isn't going to be as fatigued as a guy that comes in as a diaper dandy and is the the core scorer or the key scorer on the team from day one. Maybe fatigue's a bigger factor there. Then it's like, okay, on this given handicap, how long since the the last game? Is it one of those two-day turnarounds or does the guy have a week off? How many minutes did he play the last game? It seems to me with freshmen, the two key factors to consider in each game handicap is going to be fatigue and then how the experience is benefiting that player. Yeah, I would totally agree? agree with you. And, and, and you made an interesting point about a sort of a, 
um, a mid-major freshman that is is now the starting two guard that came into the season as a sixth or seventh man. You know, he didn't have these lofty expectations, and and he doesn't have the ESPN cameras on him every night, uh, whereas somebody like Trey Young does. So I think mentally, um, almost maybe more than physically, because I mean, physically these kids are eighteen, nineteen. I mean, they're in great shape, but I think it's the mental drain uh, that maybe somebody that's in that mid-major that's, that's doing really well. You know, he doesn't have, nobody cares who he does except people that bet on his team. Whereas Trey Young is, you know, he's fighting for lottery dollars in, in Oklahoma and whatnot. And I just think that's an inordinate amount of, of pressure for someone that age. Okay. So go ahead, Brad. You're chomping. You're chomping. No, I just, I disagree with Dave for a certain extent. He says he expects him to, to get, you know, maybe he's hitting the wall right now and he's having some turnover issues. I have worries with this guy for the rest of the season because the spotlight's not dimming. It's actually getting bigger. You see guys like LeBron James and Steph Curry talking about him. He gets more and more cameras with every big performance. And he's you look at his stature, he's 6'2", 180. He's never really played 35 games in a season. And what's happening right now, Oklahoma, as a team's hitting the wall, they've lost three of their last five games. And they need Trey Young, if they're going to have successful, to continue to handle the ball. They can't rest him. I mean, they're still in the, the title race here for the Big 12. It's not like he can take a game off or, or limit him to 20 minutes. They're going start to start to pile up a, a six, seven game losing streak, if that's the case. No, it's a good point. And I think one thing Esler does really well is tries not to generalize. And I think by saying, yeah, in general, sometimes there'll be ebbs and flows where kids get tired. Do you feel like that once a freshman gets tired, that they never recover the rest of the year. They hit the wall. There's no way to get through the wall. No, I think here's where he's right as far as the team aspect. We just talked about him. Kentucky, we've seen them hit the walls many times with their freshman one and duns. And this is a team that has their top six scores all freshmen. They're hitting the wall as we speak right now. But I fully expect them to get out of that. And we've seen that in the past with Kentucky teams. Even the Kentucky team last year that was struggling this time of the year ended up made an Elite Eight. That's a team that's going to get and overcome the wall and actually show more improvement and have more upside than any team in the country come March. All right, so what is that distinction between a Trey Young that you're skeptical he's going to get through? the? Is it because, and I was talking to one of my private college basketball experts I really respect, and he was talking about the thing about Trey Young is how much he handles the ball. He's not just a scorer, but he's handling the ball all the time. And if he's the key player on that team, as he obviously is, Trey Young in Oklahoma, now smart coaches are going to say, all right, let's pester him. Let's, you know, press him more than we might naturally. And then that fatigue starts to add up. So, is it because he handles the ball so much and he's such the one man gang on this team? Is that why you don't think he'll get through the wall? Yeah. And it's also the teams that he plays. I mean, if there's one conference that has probably elite defense, it's the big 12. They had three top 10 defenses. You look at Texas tech and then two teams in particular, that he's got to face twice West Virginia who likes to press Texas, who likes to press. That's not ideal for a guy that's got to handle the ball on every single possession. So if I said force bet, you've got about a thousand bucks blind either on or off Oklahoma every game the rest of the year. So your choice is on them every game or fade them every game. It's a no brainer to fade them. Absolutely. Without a shadow of a doubt, fade them. And it's just starting this trend right now. They failed to cover for their last five games. All right. Now let's talk about a related topic. There's young teams and then there's older teams. And Brad, you're a big believer. And we've talked about how the beginning moving to the midpoint of the conference schedule is especially 
mm, the strength of schedule is especially influential in your handicap because it can skew perception so much. Also, we've talked a lot about youth. Let's talk about the flip side, the junior and senior laden teams. Great time, at least up until this point, and at least through the month of February, teams that I like that are at least the most consistent, not only straight up, but for our purposes here against the spread, are these senior laden teams. In the one-and-done era of college basketball, what I found out, the, the most you get a lot of inconsistency from the freshmen. They hit that wall in January. What you see are the teams that are very kind of outliers, the teams like a Purdue that starts four seniors, very for a team that's in the top five uh, to get those guys to come back and play all four years, much of an outlier. And, and we see teams like Villanova, Purdue, and even Virginia combined those three teams right now against the spread 39 and 16. And I still think there's some value regularly on them. Now what's going to happen in February, they're going to start to get overpriced. People are going to start to follow them and they don't, while they're really consistent this time of year, they don't have the upside like a Kentucky when it comes to March. So those are teams that I'd like to play on now, but come March, not, not so much. And it, I think a way to think about it is trend lines is younger teams. Now the paradox is, well, what about the freshmen? Well, we're not talking about like all freshmen, especially if one of the freshmen has to carry all the weight, but let's say you have one junior, you know, three sophomores and one freshman, that's a pretty young team. As they progress, if you consider what's their aggregate experience November 15th versus their aggregate experience March 15th, the, you know, I'm just doing the math in my head. Like they have 40% more experience in a career as they did starting the year. So now you got a bunch of juniors and seniors. You might only add 15% to their experience. So in a weird way, understanding the freshman wall can be a factor. Young teams tend to have a steeper um, improvement curve, meaning they improve at a faster pace throughout January, February, March, where the more senior junior teams are better in January, but they don't improve near as much in the next two months. Exactly. And what happens is the marketplace eventually comes up. So while these teams are covering point spreads right now, that extra half point or point of price inflation that we see is going to start to see their records as far as covering the spread start to factor into place because they're not getting any better. Now I got to be honest. I just only in dream myself there. as you should yeah. well but that's the yeah. thing i'm so weak in college basketball relative to the experts when i do have a good point i gotta celebrate it yes you know like take your victory act, act like you've been there before well i not really in college <laughs> basketball so i'm gonna do the billy white shoes johnson with the legs remember that <laughs> yeah check it out on youtube all right next biggest surprise team so based on your perceptions your expectations entering the year Versus where we are sitting right now, taping here in Las Vegas, pregame.com offices on Tuesday, late afternoon. What team, either by being better than we thought, worse than we thought, what team has surprised you the most? Now, you might not be a college basketball expert, but I know you're an expert on this university, RJ. It's the Ohio State University, a team that's come out of nowhere, not only from the start of the season, but actually since the start of conference play, a 9-0 Big Ten start. This is a team with a first-year coach with Chris Holtman, and he was hired very late in the process, had no recruiting class, 
They're a very depth-shy team coming into it. They pretty much were playing out the form as, as far as the preseason expectations. Lost four non-conference games. Clemson, Butler, Gonzaga, North Carolina, all teams took care of them. And then what happened? Magically, conference play arises. Here's a team that at one point had covered one and covered six straight games by an average of 13 points per game. They got an All-American forward who wasn't even listed in, among the preseason top three teams in the Big Ten in Diop, a forward that's averaging basically a double-double. And look, it's a young coach who's got the, at least them players believing in themselves. And it was a stale program at Ohio State. They had to move on from Thad Mata. It was a top 10 program just five, seven years ago. Got stale. Now with that new energy, at least from a new coaching staff, they're playing well beyond expectations. So entering the season, their preseason <laughs> ranking was number 11 in the Big Ten. So <laughs> we, I had a old high school basketball coach. He used to have all these corny sayings like, you can't get there from here, you know, things like that. And what <laughs> I could see him saying, You'd be 11th in a 10-team league. <laughs> but I think there's more than 10 teams, right? No. 14 now. Four, oh, is that right? What are they going to do with the name? They're Nothing. just leaving it? Yeah, they're just leaving but it. But they're doing that like the, the one in the G or something? Like, what is that supposed to represent? Like, we don't really mean it's 10, but we're going to... Like, what's yeah. that all about? Yeah, I mean, for years, they had like the 11 in between the, the Big Ten because they had the extra Penn State. But don't I, they do yeah. something now? They with, do with the G. I don't get that. It's wait, just, you're you're a college specialist, and you, uh, I'm not a college, you know, a logo expert. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, but it, I don't get it. I don't get it. But obviously, this was just totally unexpected. So, I mean, how much of it's the coach? I mean, obviously, coach got to get some credit. I mean, have these players just played so, was so much better than expected? I mean, like if you had to say, there's a hundred units of credit to go around. How do you split it up for the Buckeyes? I'd say 60 for the coach. Uh, Holtman's just, I mean, he comes from Butler, and he did a very good job at Butler replacing, uh, obviously, the, the coach of the Celtics, now Brad Stevens, who did a great job, three straight NCAA appearances. So they really didn't drop off that much at Butler with him taking over. Part of it's him, but it's part of it's this Bates Diop, who has was a five-star recruit, didn't play that well his first two years. In fact, broke his leg at the end of last year. Not much was expected at all out of him this year. He's gone from being a nobody to being a top five player in the country right now. So I would say 40 of those units, obviously, on the players themselves. Now, um, also from my expert that I trust, he made an interesting point when we reviewed talking about the Buckeyes. He said this coach wasn't hired until July. And that meant that really he had no influence on recruiting. So in one way, that sounds more impressive, but in another way, it sounds like, wow, as an X's and O's guy, as a motivator, as a team builder, give them awesome grades, but really no grade right now as a recruiter. Yeah. And here's a team that entered the season with only nine or 10 scholarship players. And, you know, maybe that's not, you know, sounding like that big of a deal. It is in college basketball. You're allowed 13 scholarship players. If you only have nine or 10, that's like taking away a quarter of your team. So in football, it'd be like, you know, coming in the season instead of with 85 scholarship players, like coming in the season with 65 scholarship players. Okay. We're going to be talking about the biggest game on Saturday from here on. Very, very actionable information. The stakes are going up, as we like to say. So in Saturday's game, you mentioned Duke, Virginia is 
set, make the case this is the biggest game of the year and give us a early breakdown. Yeah, I mean, we had big games on the opening night when you had Duke playing Michigan State, Kansas, Kentucky, but that was way back in November. You didn't know what you had with these teams. With these two teams, with about 20 games played so far, this is the best game, at least until this season. Two top five teams. You got number two, Virginia, and number four, Duke. It's a great matchup. If you want an offense versus defensive matchup, here it is. The number one defense in the country in Virginia against basically a top two offense in Duke. And to me, usually in those type of situations, and because Duke's normally overpriced in the marketplace, I'm going to be on the better defensive team, the better significantly better defensive team, this being Virginia. Duke's not even a top 75 defensive uh, as far as ranking in the country. I like Virginia lean with them plus the points in this early big season matchup. And you project uh, Duke to be a five-point favorite. About a five-point favorite, but you mentioned it earlier. It's going to be interesting to see how much the public gets involved on this game because this will be maybe the first big public college basketball game where the public really gets involved. Yeah, and and part of that is how big the game is. Part of it is the time of the year it is with football, with those opportunities. It's like, listen, if you have steak, you eat steak. If you (laughs) don't have steak, you eat hamburger, right? (laughs) Yes. I mean, let's just be realistic for a second. Um, Duke had, and again, I am a casual college basketball fan. I mean, it was headlines with the recruits, right? How does that inspire? Does that maybe make this team like on one hand, my first thought would be, oh, it's going to energize the organization, the team. But on the other hand, you might think, is there a sophomore right now that is thinking, oh, I'd be a early second round pick. Maybe it's time for me to go leave early and and maybe they start pressing a little bit as in trying too hard to maybe sneak up into the, you know, end of the first round. Could, could this be discombobulating for the current Duke team? How impressive the recruiting class was, you know, not so much. It's intriguing. I think it actually, if we're wondering why Kentucky struggled a little bit, it's because they were the one player in college basketball when it came to one and done. If you're a one and done player, you're going to Kentucky. Now there's a second program you can go to, and it's actually Duke, who's beaten Kentucky out five well, of the last hold, six. Hold on, hold on, yeah. hold on. You're making a great case if you're a Duke fan. Yeah. So let's say this, Brad. <laughs> you, you are our number one college analyst here in Vegas. Now imagine if you read in the newspaper that, and let's not worry about who it is for a minute, but it's this guy from ESPN is coming in to be our number one or, or to be on the college team here at pregame.com. And then this guy from Fox is going to be number two. And this guy that works for CBS is going to be number three. And I say, Hey Brad, you got every chance baby to earn your spot on the dream preview, or maybe you can start your own little podcast or something. Now you're telling me I get a confident guy is going to not be scared so much, but you're not going to think about it. It's not going to in any way influence you. Yeah, well, I yes, I would start entertaining the thoughts of my value toward the program or pregame in this theoretical aspect. I, I would start to think about it, but me being a confident guy, and let's face it, a lot of these Duke players were number one, number two, number three, coming out of high school, five-star recruits. They have to have some sort of sense of pride and confidence. It doesn't affect me too much. I want to go and win it. I'm cared more in the now and that's what we live in in today's generation. What's, what have you done for me lately? I'm going to go win a national championship this year. Forget next year. I don't know. Here's what I think might be <laughs> the effect. He's a janitor at a high school. <laughs> Has to take the bus to work every day. 
<laughs> or it could be that. Yeah, it could be. Now, another angle on this could be, and, and let me ask you the question, how many of Duke's players this year are, this is likely their last year? At least, well, four of them, you count Grayson Allen, who's a four-year starter uh, at senior. Three guys are going to be basically freshmen. They're going to be one-and-done players, going to be in the top five of the NFL, uh, the NBA draft come uh, April. So I baited you right there. So you're telling me I've got Duke at home with the three best players in college basketball and somehow three best pro prospects. Oh, but that doesn't matter. Oh, so LeBron, let's think. I mean, there's not much distinction in between. Like if you're a great pro, you're great in college. Yeah. (laughs) So if you're going to have the top three of the top five draft choices, how are you taking five points with Duke well, how home. are you losing to NC State and Boston College? I know, but maybe they're not the top three of the five. All right. Well, I'm just saying. You bring up a good point, though. If Duke's motivated and they have the bat three of the best players, then five does seem like a cheap number. I just think the more experienced team, and let's face it, even this time of year, and Virginia's a very physical, punch-you-in-the-mouth type of team, and they're very junior and senior lad, and there's a lot of difference. You talked about RJ freshman 15 at Ohio State. Was there a difference <laughs> between RJ 18 and RJ 21 years old? No, I've been trying to lose that same 15 ever since. <laughs> <laughs> Let, let's be honest. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm just saying, I mean, sometimes, you know, maybe you're a top three draft prospect, but, you know, Sometimes. I just never mature, though. I, All right, it's funny. Enough. I was a very precocious kid, uh, you know, ahead of myself in many ways. And I still have those qualities, but I still am like a kid in many ways, too. So, which, you know, could be good, could be bad in some spots. I can't lie. All right. So let's see. Anything else in that game? So Virginia, if, if I just had to tell you over under, do they make the Elite Eight? Yes, no. Even money. Mm, elite Eight, yes. So just Barrett, would you lay 130? Ooh, lay 130, I would not. So I made a great line. Just boom off the top of my head. You notice that? Yeah. No, that's Split a really good line. Well, they have never made the Final Four, even though they've had the last four or five With seasons. With Ralph Sampson? Well, they never made the Final Four at least the last five years <laughs> under Tony Bennett. <laughs> I'm thinking Ralph Sampson, they only made one. They kept getting, I think uh, NC State knocked him out of the one semi. He had ginger knees, though. Yeah. He, was, he was very ginger. I mean, you think about it back then. I mean, what was he on? What seven four almost seven three, right? Yeah, yeah, pretty. He was good. He was good. Yeah, you're dating yourself a little bit there, RJ. Hey, listen, yeah. I, I I embrace every <laughs> in in my mid forties. Every year, I've learned something, and I've probably forgotten about equal amounts. So I'm just <laughs> I'm trying to stay flat. You know, if you do that, you're probably not so bad. I don't think. <laughs> All right, so we got best bets for Wednesday games coming up. In a minute, let's talk about two things. One, and this is right in with the idea of college basketball. All through the football season, we talked about go to pregame.com, click the game center, click consensus, and you can see the bet splits. Now, you might think, wow, there's you know some monkeys you know at the typewriter feet. No, 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 no. We've got the RSS, XML. And we've got a platform. It really is a one-of-a-kind platform that spits that stuff out. And it's a, excuse me, it's a data feed. And that means literally if it's the, you know, 60th game on a Saturday, you can trust the numbers on that 60th game on a Saturday just as much as you would trust on the Virginia Duke game. So, Brad, what you love those numbers 
you talk, and I love that you love them, right? That's why we built the platform. It certainly wasn't cheap is give us maybe, and maybe each week we can talk about one approach you use those numbers with that helps you arrive at picks. Uh, you're, you're talking the, the consensus picks as yes. far as that. Well, I think it really starts coming into play this time of year in college basketball because the overall handle in college basketball game is going to go up, and that's where the public can actually drive a number. We talked about it all year long, the pros versus Joes, and you can very well say it better than I, but a lot of times in those pros versus Joes type of games, because the, the, the Joe money is there, it kind of keeps the, the, the line a little bit in line where it doesn't get overinflated from the sharp market and it there's some value points to that so i i love i just like seeing you know reverse line movement you have a 70 percent of the general public's betting on one side and the lines moving in the other direction to me for the most part that should be you know sharper bigger money on that side. no doubt and i think the key is pregame.com is the only place in the known universe with the bet splits in cash the cash splits for free. And, you know, there's other sites, or I think there's one maybe that has the cash and, and, but it's a behind an expensive paywall and up at pregame.com game center consensus tab is you're literally seeing and the handle like for the AFC and NFC championship game, we were moving or actually the division round. We had about 2 million of handle from our sources on those games. Now, CG Technology, which is the biggest bookmaker in Nevada, so biggest legal bookmaker in the United States, they actually did less handle on those games than our sources. So it's, you know, maybe 10% less. So it was like we're a little bit more than the biggest bookmaker in Vegas with our sources around the country, multiple places. So you get a real blend. And you see, let's use an example, um, 80% of the tickets on the home team but half the money on the home team. So you're like, wow, the big bets must be on the road team. Doesn't mean you necessarily want to bet that automatically, but it's something to think about. Then if you say, wait a minute, half the money on them, only 20% of the tickets, but lo and behold, the line's moving in their favor as in is, I guess it's getting worse for them. We always talk about how to say that. Now you're thinking, wow, not only are they the bigger bets, but it's the bets that the bookmaker is taking seriously. Because sometimes you can get big bets with a drunk guy yeah. and, you know, that doesn't mean as much or degenerate. So uh, if you look at the combination of the ticket splits, the cash splits and the line moves and there, it's not science where I can't say do this, this and this. But you do that for a month. I tell you, I, I've had so many people tell me it's a key part of their handicap once they do that. Check that out. Lastly, this is the off week for the Super Bowl. But. Dream preview NFL, not off. Me and Fez are going to be breaking down the game. We'll do a good hour, hour 15, if not more, with the early look coming out every NFL Thursday. So this Thursday, early in the a.m. And then next week, next week, we'll be coming out again on Thursday. Maddie Holt will be joining us a bunch of prop talk next week. So if you're not subscribed, and I tell you, we're going to be coming out with an interview with Oscar Goodman. Is planned to be released this Friday that I did a two hour interview. And then starting next week, we got a new show called don't bet on it, which is going to be looking at all the hot takes. And we're going to douse that those hot takes with cold cash and give a Vegas perspective. So a ton of stuff on the same feed. So all you got to do, if you use Apple, 
iTunes, whatever it is, just subscribe to the Dream Preview and you'll get all the new shows immediately without delay. And oh, by the way, a little tease, we are having a pregame.com prop contest and whatever, whichever prop is chosen and you can just enter it online, uh, on Twitter, there'll be a couple of ways, whichever prop we think is the most creative will be up in Vegas for like starting next Tuesday for like five days before the Super Bowl with normal betting limits, normal betting limits at Cantor CG technology. So the biggest bookmaker in Nevada will be putting up a prop from the pregame.com community, whichever is the most clever will be putting up and Hey, that's something to tell the friends at the bar about it's best bet time. Don't know about the future. That's anybody's guess. Ain't no good reason for getting all depressed. Buy up your pad and pencil. I give you a piece of my mind. All right, Brad, Wednesday action. And by the way, guys, if you're listening past Wednesday night, we're going to have two best bets for Wednesday. So you can drop off if you want. Brad, best bet Wednesday. I'm going Miami, Florida, the Hurricanes at home, laying three points against Louisville. Here's where I like the Hurricanes. I think there's some value off a game that they played. In fact, their last home game against Duke. Eight minutes left against this almighty Duke team. Miami's up 13 points. Somehow they not only lose the game, but they also lose against the spread. They were getting five points. Value off that one. Why do I mention it? It's their only home loss. You're laying a cheap number here. Here's a team that diving into their local newspapers like I did this past weekend. They are having their best practices of the season. They went out and verified that by a big road win at NC State on Sunday. They're playing a Louisville team that I like. I think Louisville, on the whole, is an underrated team, but I've seen the market start to catch up with them, at least in their last game or so. After covering five straight, they're starting to see a little bit of point spread inflation here. The better defense, the better strength of schedule, at home, laying a cheap number. Give me the Hurricanes minus three. Oh, professional pick there. Um, This line is out. So uh, do you have any sense of the direct, you bet this early, but I mean, where do you see this line go? You know what? I, I think it's going to pretty much stay right around the three pure power rating for me has it right around three. I just think you, you look at the overall situation. Louisville hasn't been playing a lot of games away from home as of late. The one exception being a four over uh, overtime game against Notre Dame. I just think the last impression you've seen of Louisville is they've won six straight games. So I think the market's wanting to bet Louisville stays right around three. Best bet, Wednesday action, Brad Powers, Miami minus three. Remember Twitter with Brad, at Brad Powers seven. That's Brad Powers, P-O-W-E-R-S. The number seven. He never will tell anyone what that seven means. I think it means that he slept with seven girls at the time he made his Twitter account. So you can do the math and kind of accept. Is that true or false? Uh, no, but <laughs> I, I was doing math in my head at the time when I did that. And I think it's really close. To oh, be honest so, with you. so maybe it was subconsciously. Yes, yes. <laughs> it might've been nicely done. <laughs> All right. Next up we have, and finally we've got Mr. Dave Esler with his Wednesday best bet. And we'll get Brad's feelings about that in a moment. Auburn, Missouri goes Wednesday. Um, you know, I like Missouri here. Um, the lines aren't out yet, but I would expect that to come out with Auburn as a slight road favorite. And I do like my home underdogs, but Auburn is another one of those teams that they were nowhere to be found preseason. And now they're everywhere to be found. Everybody's ready to 
give Bruce Pearl coach of the year and yada, yada, yada. They still have the same talent they did back uh, in November. And if a team's going to lose, it's typically going to be on the road. And one of the things I really like about Missouri is they actually have, I believe it's the 13th highest home court advantage. And I, I believe their point differential over the last three years is about 11 and a half points a game more at home. Uh, I don't know how you don't take Missouri. And, and the other the other big caveat there for me is you have, you, you know, under Martin, they're playing a really slow down style, which they didn't do under Anderson. So if one thing, Auburn hasn't seen a whole lot of that. And Auburn plays really quick. You know, as we know, the home team tends to dictate the pace. I expect Missouri to take the air out of the ball. Uh, and it's also a super close game projected. Missouri is an awesome free throw shooting team and they play really good defense. And, and I don't know what more you can ask because uh, winning on the road is difficult at any level. And, and uh, I, I think that that line will probably get that up fairly early. People will be all over Auburn because they're Auburn and, and they're, they're super public right now. But I think you'll see Missouri money later in the day. Okay, so we recorded that a little earlier before the lines was out. And I think as a good sign that Dave's handicap is correct is the numbers come out with actually Missouri favored by two. So Dave felt like Pickham was the point he'd play it, probably not at minus one. So what I would say is let's call this a strong lean. Uh, he project, but really this is what wise guys do. They come up with a number before the numbers are released. And then boom, the first number comes out at Chris or wherever it comes out. And you say, okay, at two points, I'm going to play one unit and at two and a half, I'm going to play two or however the system is. And they'll fire based on those discrepancies. In this case, if it would have came in Auburn plus or minus two and a half, Esler would have fired a best bet, uh, you know, probably a, a major one if you have two and a half points edge. In this case, it comes out the handicap that he saw, the market saw too. So not so much, but I guess that's a question. Do you agree with it as a lean right now at Missouri too? No, I don't actually. And I'm not on the other side. I'm just indifferent completely because my pure power rating has Missouri too. I do agree with Dave that Auburn is a public team. Uh, it's a team that's won 17 in our last 18 games, and they've pretty much come out of nowhere, and people love betting on teams. They've been covering point spreads, and they're more of the name-brand team uh, as far as this game goes. So if you're looking to bet Missouri, I do think Auburn money, like Dave said, does show up at least earlier in the day on Wednesday, and I think you're going to get a better number than two if you're looking to lay it with Missouri. I think this closes right around Pickham or Missouri minus one. Okay. Oh, interesting. So I, I've seen Auburn money come into the marketplace multiple games in a row, including a game against Alabama, the last game that they, they lost here. And the, here's some value in that particular game. Alabama beat Auburn straight up. It's Auburn's only loss in the last 18 games. And Alabama's playing without their best player, a late game day scratch. Now, what you said was fascinating because we talked about your number versus the opener. Uh, and when I say your, I mean any handicapper that comes up with a number before the opener. But then you bet what you like then, what has enough discrepancy. And you might say, why not wait? Because the theory is lines get sharper. So if you are correct about, let's say, a line being two and a half points off, more times than not, over 51%, it's going to move where your bet gets worse if you wait. So now the the biggest batters have to worry about limits overnight and morning limits and all that. But if you're not in that uh, strata, in that that the nosebleeds, you don't worry about that. You bet as soon as you've got enough discrepancy to be happy. But now let's just say you have a game where you think the favor should be favored. Let's say you're you're waiting for two points of edge, 
and you think the favorite should be favored by three, but they're favored by two. So now you got one point of edge. You don't play it at open. But as the day progresses, the favorite gets bet down to one. The minute it hits one, you've got two points of edge and you play. So almost imagine if there was a computer program, and I'm guessing that, that in fact, I know there's some professional bettors in town that have these homemade programs like this. Well, they'll put it in and say, if this game, if I can bet this game, because they've got, they actually have their bots um, logged into their, let's say 19, they have a lot of outs, 19 sites. And they'll say, as soon as I can get a minus one, minus one ten on this game, bet me 3000 bucks. Boom. Now it's at minus two right now. As the day progresses, if it doesn't get to one, the bet doesn't get executed. It's almost like in the stock market. If you know anything about the stock market, you can put a buy order in at minus one, minus one ten. And as soon as that, at that price, you think there's value. As soon as that happens, boom, it's executed. And you guys probably don't have a bot like that, but that's the mentality. What's your number? What's the market number at the open? If there's an edge or enough of an edge, you gobble it up. And if not, you wait, watch the screen. And if an edge emerges, then you gobble, gobble it up. Then thus tomorrow you get Missouri Pickham and you like what Esler's saying. Then you fire on it. All right, guys, by the way, Dave Esler on Twitter at Dave underscore old school underscore Esler at Dave underscore E S S L E R with RJ. And again, I think the very best Twitter account at RJ in Vegas. And we're back tomorrow with the NFL. We'll be back next week with more college basketball talk. And soon enough, we're going to have Fezzik for NBA and other voices, other pregame pros around the country contributing each week. This should be for the serious handicappers. A great show. Talk to you then. Thanks for listening to RJ Bell's Dream Preview. Catch the Wise Guy Roundtable each week. College football released on Wednesday. NFL on Thursday. Don't miss any winners. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Visit podcastone.com and download the Podcast One app. Have a question for RJ? You can contact him directly on Twitter at RJ in Vegas. Live the dream with us each week. Hi, this is Dennis Miller, and I want to invite you to listen to my new podcast, Red Circle Sports, right here on Podcast One. I'll be recapping the weekend's most exciting sports stories, and I'll bring them to you every Tuesday. Plus, hear me chat with some of my favorite sports industry guests like Rich Eisen. So be sure to subscribe to Red Circle Sports with me, Dennis Miller, on the Podcast One app at podcastone.com or on Apple Podcasts. And don't forget to rate review and share. Be there, be square.